Well, the first Sunday of 2019. Hallelujah. It's off and running. Whether we want it to be or not, it's here. Um, I brought all kinds of stuff up here. I brought my journal that I've been writing in pretty much every day since the middle of uh, the summer. And um, I just encourage you to get something and start writing down what you want God to do in your life and what He speaks to you day by day. Um, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be going to Isaiah 58. And uh, I do believe there was people here that needed that, that song, needed the lyrics of that song, um, that they're not alone. And boy, we'll be so glad when all the Chi Alpha students are back. Amen. It's been a good break, but we're ready for them to be back. And some have already gotten back already. Um, in February, we, some, some know this, uh, our first service was actually uh, Wednesday night. And I uh, preached on prayer. Uh, the first seven days of February are going to be a week of fasting. And, um, and I really believe God is going to talk to you real quick here. Not to shut that word off, all right? Not to have a negative connotation about it. Um, we're not living in a culture of fasting, <laughs> right? <laughs> we just came through Christmas. It was not a culture of fasting. But even past and all the things we want to do, want to be healthier, and, and uh, I've got some goals for myself uh, this year that I've written down, and, and so far I've been on, on target. So God helping me, I'm going to remain on target. But um, we're, we're really not in a culture of fasting. The American culture is not a culture of fasting. Think about this. This week is, is uh, the Simmons God Week of Prayer. And I've thought a lot about this, even seven days of fasting to start February. Why is it that we have to have a special emphasis on prayer? Because we don't have a culture of prayer. You know, we, we, we want to say we do, but these things are, I think, attempts at pulling us back into having a culture of fasting, a culture of prayer. In other words, it's... It's woven into our, who we are as people, and we're not that. Now, what I'm going to read from in Isaiah 58, if you read 57 and 59 and 60 and on into 61, God is dealing with people who, they're fasting, they're doing all of that, but He doesn't like it. And you're going to read why He doesn't like what they're doing, why He doesn't like their fasting. Because he has a chosen fast, and that's what the title of this message is this morning. God has, has a fast that he wants. And all this other stuff that was going on in their culture, their culture is a culture of fasting. It was still a culture of fasting when Jesus was there because he even said, if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees and them who practice fasting every week. And they had, they had the routine but nothing was of life in that routine. Boy, we don't do that, do we? We don't have lifeless routines. But it's like God has to jolt us out of our routine and us find His routine. And, and, and it's like prayer. It's like having a prayer emphasis. And, 
And we do this. I, I'm all for 21 days of prayer and fasting and starting the year that way. We just felt in our staff meeting that January is such a transitional month that we needed to maybe just get through this and then focus on February to really calibrate ourselves to seeking God, setting apart our lives for Him. And um, so here we are. We're at Isaiah 58. And we find places in the Bible where there's fasting. Um, Hannah doesn't really say she's fasting, but the Bible says that she went through seasons of longing so much for a child that she did not eat. And it was her husband that would come to her and says, you know, you're not eating. Why are you not eating? And she would, she would tell him, I'm longing for a child. And that longing took her to the temple, took, took her to the tabernacle, rather, and and, and then Eli saw that she was in such despair. What was it? She was grieving for a child that she did not have, and she was asking God for a son, and if he gave her a son, he would, she would give back that son. Well, she got that son. That was Samuel. And then you have David. He's fasting. What was the motivation for his fasting? He's fasting a week. Well, the baby that was born, Bathsheba gave birth to the child that they conceived illegitimately, and God had told him ahead of time, the child, part of the cost of your sin is that child is not going to survive. And he went without food for seven days, petitioning God, hoping, hoping God would change his mind. And when he, heard, when he saw people whispering in the background, he ascertained that, well, the child's finally passed away. And he asked, and he's like, well, we're scared to tell you, but yes, he just passed away. He got up, he washed his face, he washed his hands, and he was ready to eat. And I said, you're going to eat? He says, I was fasting, hoping that God would change his mind about that baby. And why would I continue on? Because I can't bring him back. I can go to him, but I can't bring him back. But that fasting was a sense of loss. Really? Do you realize that? Grief, grief can bring on this sense of just, I don't have an appetite, but it's also a seeking God from, for filling up that loss. And you have other people, you have Nehemiah. When Nehemiah heard how destruction was in the city and the temple and all that, he immediately went to a season of fasting and praying and seeking God. We know about Esther, right? Esther called the, she says, you get everybody out there to give me a three-day fast before I go and meet the king because my life will be on the line, but the lives of all the Hebrew people were on the line. So, so there's fasting in the Old Testament, and there's fasting that continues into the culture of Israel, and Isaiah deals with that in Isaiah 58. So if you're there, follow along with me. And, and you almost have to kind of read 57 and even go into 59 to say that God is really having to redirect or reboot His people toward His purpose. Shout it out. This is God telling Isaiah... Shout it out, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion, to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of God. They ask me for just decisions. And here God begins to describe what's going on that he has issues with. 
They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you've not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only for a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed or for lying on sackcloth and ashes? And I, I like this question here. Is that what you call a fast? Well, undoubtedly, they were calling that a fast. But he says, is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? And this first point is fasting gone wrong. They were fasting, but God had issues with how they were fasting and really why they were fasting. It was both. They were approaching fasting as though it gave them some kind of leverage in their workers. That they, if they were fasting, it would excuse how they treated their workers. This is exactly what Jesus was addressing in the Sermon on the Mount. You remember that when he says, when you fast, Basically, what did he say? When you fast, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't make a big deal like you, you look like you're really hungry and you want people to know, hey, I went without food for three days now. Aren't I spiritual? That's what he says. You're doing it for image. And I think when you look at what he's saying in Isaiah 58, they were all about image. We're fasting, and God, you see our fasting, and why haven't you fixed our problems? Why haven't you seen what we're doing? We're doing this. We're being very committed to fasting, and you haven't showed up. It's like you haven't even noticed that we are fasting here, and we still have our problems. The people of Israel was doing worse than what Jesus said. They were, listen how their fasting was going. They were fasting so they could win arguments, so they could win quarrels, and some of those arguments resorted to fistfights. Now, how about that for a fast? Hey, I just fasted, and boy, did we get into it. Why would that happen? Something's going on there that they think fast, if they fast, it gives them the advantage in an argument. And God was taking issue. He is inquiring of them, of whether humility really is. He says, what benefit is that you're humbling yourself? What benefit is it that you seem afflicting yourself, that you're putting yourself through this trauma of sitting in sackcloth and ashes? You're making the visual really well, but inside there, there's something missing in the heart. Think about this. This was a fasting culture. In a fasting culture, a fasting culture is the only culture that can do fasting wrong. I've had people to tell me that they made a decision after 21 days of fasting that kind of qualified their decision as being of God even though that decision was filled with deceit and misleading. And it was kind of like, if I tell you I fast 21 days and I did this, you don't have any argument to come against me. Now, this is not, that's in maybe a fasting culture in their mind but you can only do what these people were doing in, in Isaiah 58 
in a fasting culture where you're using it and you're manipulating it. Look at verse 6 because it all changes here. Because this is where you got to start somewhere. And I know the slide up here is going to have a picture that's really interesting. Right? It's not up there yet. There it is. You got to start somewhere. Now, you can't read probably the fine print except if you're up here. But this comes out of a book on fasting. By the way, I want to, I want to tell you the best book I've ever read on fasting. All right? Some, some of you like to have referrals on books. A Hunger for God. Anybody know the author of that book that might have read it? John Piper, a good Baptist brother, writing a great book on fasting and prayer, A Hunger for God. Now, this is not from his book. This is from a 1976 book, How to Keep Healthy and Happy by Fasting. And this is the photograph at the start of that book. Salem Kirbin, by the way. And uh, probably you've never heard of him. I did hear him speak in person at First Assembly of God in Lake City, Florida in around 1976. About the time he wrote this book, 1976, 77. And I remember one thing he said about fasting. He said, when you go to the grocery store and you buy your groceries and you pick up food for your cat, you'd be better off feeding what you bought for you to the cat and eating what you bought for the cat. Now that made me remember that. And I'm not even a cat person, so it really didn't appeal to me. But he was all about nutrition. This was all about... And, and the graphic here is, what, me fast? You must be crazy. I'll die of starvation. I couldn't exist if I missed one meal. And the reading of this book is really kind of like the nutritional side of fasting. He hardly touches on the spiritual side, even though he wrote a lot of books on Bible prophecy, and don't, don't buy any of them because that, that's not any good. <laughs> I think I have that book in my library because I went to hear him, and he was interesting. But you got to start somewhere. Where do you start fasting? What, what is the first meal you should miss when you fast? And should you drink water? Our juices are a mixture of both. Now, how many would like the answer to those questions? It doesn't matter. Because it's not what's important. What's important is, why are you going to fast? What's important is, what is the driving mechanism? And the book by Piper boils down to, you remember when Jesus was asked by some of the the Pharisees and some of John's disciples says, you know, here we are, we're fasting all the time, but your disciples are never fasting. You remember him saying that? Do you remember what his answer was? He said, when the bridegroom is here, the friends of the bridegroom don't fast. But when the bridegroom is what? Taken away, then they will fast. They fasted after Jesus was taken. Why? Because there was a sense of longing for him. There was a sense of desiring him. And I think that is probably the best motivation for us to fast. It, 
yes, we want God to answer our prayers. We want God to give us a breakthrough. And these are some things we're going to touch on in just a moment. But what is really the deep driving force behind doing any kind of fast, whether it's food or whether it's revamping how you do your daily routine, uh, whether you stay away from your, your social media, from your devices, your, your phone, your computer, or television. What is the driving force? Is there this sense of longing for the presence of God? Well, you got to start somewhere. you got to just start doing one thing. And I think maybe, how can we develop a culture of fasting? I think every day we ought to start looking at what can I do with that today? Then when we hit a time of fasting, we're already kind of developing this desire that I want to get to know God enough that I'm going to give this up to know Him more. And that's the right motivation. But when we hear fasting, it's kind of like, well, my blood sugar would drop. That, that wouldn't be healthy for me. Now, I'm not making fun of that. There's some people that just can't do without food. But there's a lot of us that can do without food. And we just don't want to do without food. It's not like we're saying, I can't fast. It's like, ah, I don't feel led to do that. I really feel led to eat. <laughs> but are to do whatever we do. And it's kind of like we, we have this routine and we're not going to let God in on changing that routine at all. And how many of you think, just in your own mind, that God just might want to tweak our routine a little bit in order for us to have a greater sense of His presence. And so we, we start off with this. The greatest opposition we have to fasting is not the devil. The greatest opposition we have to fasting is right here. It's interesting when you're going about your day and you're just not thinking about anything... You know, and, and that happened to me this morning. Driving through McDonald's real early. And, uh, and, the, and the young lady at the window recognized me, and I recognized her about the same time. And she said, you'll probably see my dad at church, but here I am working. I said, I'm sorry. And she says, I want to ask you a question. And she asked me a question about my call into the ministry, and, and on behalf of someone else, she's like, do you think the devil was really trying to talk to you against that? And I said, well, he might have, but I was doing a pretty good job of that myself. <laughs> My biggest issue with the call of God was me. It's like, ah, I think you've dialed the wrong number here. I said, that was my struggle is that I had plenty of reasons to tell him God why he needed to get someone else, and that was, I don't, I don't see myself doing that at all. Oh, and maybe that's every step of the way. And that was the beginning steps of me saying, and he made me, I didn't get swallowed by fish, but I was really got to a place of misery to where I finally said, okay, I'm going to head to Bible college, but I'm not telling anybody that I feel led to go into the ministry just in case it doesn't work out. And I wouldn't even declare a major when they got down there. He says, what do you want? I said, what do you have? Elementary ed, no. Secondary ed, no. Um, ministry, no. Pastor, no. And he says, well, there's, I mean, what you got left? He says, how about priest seminary? I says, what is that? That shows you how smart I was. 
So that's, you go through studies and then you go into seminary. Put me down for that. Yeah, I'll take that. All this time, my problem was not the enemy. It was me. And I think when I'm talking about this, that the vast majority of us sitting in this room, that when God begins to talk to us about getting really, really serious and going out of the norm to find something totally beyond what we've ever experienced, we don't really sometimes go so agreeably. And we're giving the Lord all the reasons why I don't think that's a good idea. Because I hate to fail, and if I take that step and I fall flat on my... What are we doing there? We're putting more confidence in our ability or inability to do it than in the, and in the God who's calling us to do it. That He's called us. So we got to start somewhere. we got to start every day in order to build. My desire in this message is between now and the first seven days of February, you've already done some form of fasting. And God is beginning to speak to you about it. God is beginning to talk to you and reveal to you what He wants you to do. And that's the next point. I think these points are on the back of the bulletin if you're wanting to jot down some things. What does God want? What does He want? Look again at verse 6. I'm going to take you to verse 6. I didn't get all the way to that. He says in verse 6, this is the kind of fasting I have chosen. In other words, God is about to tell them what kind of fast He likes. He's already told us what fast He doesn't like. All of this image stuff, all of this trying to impress people doesn't impress Him. He said, this is what I want. I want to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. I want to do breakthrough in your life. I want to break the things that's over you. What stands out to you when you're reading this? What matters to God? What really matters to God when we start fasting? Freedom for people who are not free. It's like we're fasting not for those who are well, not for those who have experienced freedom, but we're fasting for those who are encumbered in some way. And none of us in this room have any bondages we need to be freed from. Right? But what happens is that these things begin to be revealed as we step forward to him and he wants to break that off of our life. There's some stuff here in a little bit that really shines a light on what God wants to do in our lives. But when you read this, you say, well, he wants to bring freedom to people. All of this here that we've just read is about loosing the chains, untying the cords, setting the oppressed free, to break every yoke, every point that we have been shackled he wants to break that off. And some of this, some of this can only happen through prayer and fasting. And I know he said that about certain demons being cast out that the disciples couldn't cast out. But there's some things that's not going to be really highlighted and broken off our lives until we get serious about seeking God and get honest before him. Look in verse 7. I like this. I, I could still hear Brother Carl Strader 
preaching on this. This is what he wants to be the resulting effects of our fast. Instead of cooking a meal for you to eat, cook a meal for someone else to eat. Isn't that what verse 7 starts with? To share your food with the hungry. It's almost like he wants to redirect us from what we have focused on about us to look beyond us and say, how can I bless someone else? Wouldn't it be neat for God to just speak to us sometimes and just say, go to Cracker Barrel and get you a glass of tea and look around and there's a family sitting somewhere that I want you to pay for their meal. I'm going to fast that day. Well, maybe water with lemon instead of tea. How's that? <laughs> do the, do the caffeine-free thing. But wouldn't that be like, do you think God would ever tell us to do that? That it's possible for God to, but why doesn't he ever tell us? It's not a matter that he doesn't tell us. It's a matter we're not listening. We're not coming to a point and saying, God, what do you want me to do today? What do you want me to take from what I have and to invest it in someone else? I stopped at one of those bell ringers. In fact, he was outside of Hobby Lobby. And he was standing there with a cane, ringing the bell with the other hand. And I went over and talked to him a little bit and donated to the cause. And I said, have you ever read the biography of Catherine Booth? He said, no. I said, oh, you got to get it. you got to get the roots of what you guys are doing. And just try to invest in him. Invest, just remind him how, what a great job they're doing. Can we get to a point where that becomes more of the norm than out of the normal? That we actually become a different norm. Blood relatives, watch this. I haven't finished verse 7. I got stuck right there. To provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. It is amazing how much we can care for some people more than we care for our own flesh and blood. Because we can have issues with flesh and blood. <laughs> we can have like a barrier there that we just can't get past. And he says, how about that for our purpose in fasting? Fasting to where it changes us in such a way that God has space there to heal family relationships. Would that interest you if a fast would do that? Or have we just kind of shut the possibilities of, of that down? This is the fast, remember, this is the fast that God says, I like. This is the fast I have chosen to give your food to the hungry to help those who are without shelter and to clothe those who are naked to those who are in great need and to be restored in your family relationships. I call that breakthrough. I call that breakthrough. Healing in families. It's all about breakthrough. Loose the chains of injustice. Tie and tie the cords of the yoke. Set the oppressed free. To break every yoke, not most, Every yoke. Don't you like words that 
just kind of define what he's talking about. He doesn't want to just help us. <laughs> he wants to remake us and remake your family. Do you think people are bound today? Do you think people have bondages today? Do you think the people of God have some bondages, some chains to be broken? Isn't it interesting that just a few chapters later, you can turn over to Isaiah 61. You're familiar with Isaiah 61. Because Jesus reads from this in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. But I want you to see, and, and I'm going to read, the, I think, the first three verses. Oh, what three verses these are in Isaiah 61. And the, this is the scroll that Jesus is reading from in his hometown. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom, there's that theme again, for the captives, to release from darkness for the prisoners. Again, a freedom, a release, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who are in mourning, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. I believe what he's trying to show us here, that when he shows up, dynamic change happens. When he's preaching, when he's declaring this gospel to the poor, to those who need to hear hope, it changes their world. And this is what he said, I've come to do. I've come to undo all of this to bring healing to people. Now think about this. He's reading this just days after he finishes a 40-day fast. He's just finished a 40-day fast. Luke records this in chapter 4. Matthew records this. Mark records this. Two of them says this. When Jesus is baptized in water, what, what are the things that happen when Jesus comes out of the water? The Spirit descends and a voice of God and, and God, that voice says, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And it says the Spirit of the Lord had came upon him and the result of that baptism was the Spirit immediately pulled him out of the water and Mark actually says drove him into a desert place to be tested for 40 days to endure a spiritual war with the devil for 40 days because he had come out of a 40-day fast. And all of them, I think, without exception, says that after he had done without food for 40 days, he was hungry, which is not a surprise, right? And that was part of his testing. It's as though that... The role of fasting in Jesus' life mirrors Isaiah 58. That he fasted so that there could be breakthrough in people's lives. That when Jesus preached, things happened. It, did they happen because it was him that was preaching? Or did it happen because the Holy Spirit was on him when he preached? We're told in Scripture more than once that everything Jesus did, he did out of the power of 
of the Holy Spirit. Not out of him just saying, I'm the son of God and I can make anything happen that I want to happen. He let go of that. He laid that privilege down and he gave himself to the Holy Spirit and says, you show me what to do. You tell me what to say, who to pray for, where to preach, what are we supposed to do every day. Every day I'm going to get instructions from you. And that first day that he was anointed to be the voice of hope, 40 days after that, he had endured an intense battle with the devil. Why? So he could break people out of their bondages. And this is the last thing. Do we need major breakthroughs in our lives? I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm kind of like, I, I kind of characterize years. To me, 2018 was a great year. Is a great year because 2017 was not a great year, especially the latter half of it. And only a handful of people knew anything that our world was in a whirlwind. And it was pressing in. It was God, God, oh God. That, those are the, my two favorite words when I'm praying. Oh, God. Oh, God. And he gets you through that. He, we, we are pressed when things are going haywire and, and there's uncertainty and all of that. And he presses us to really get rid of ourselves. Right. Is to really get rid of what we want to do and how we want to handle something. And this is really a call to repentance. It's a call to turn from our wanting to fix something to letting God fix us and let him take care of what's out there. God wants to repair us. God wants to renew us. This is why I think every day we need to start, we need to start creating a culture of fasting in our own lives. Doing without something every day. What... what do you think God would tell you if you really honestly ask him, Lord, what do you want me to fast today? Today, Sunday, before all this is over with, what do you, what do you say to me that you want me to do? Maybe, maybe he wants you to fast Fox News or all news, <laughs> just all news. I guarantee you, all of us in this room would have a much better feel if we just kind of fasted the news completely. Now, some of you, if God told you to fast something tomorrow evening, you might say, well, I'm not hearing that at all. I don't get that at all. Well, what if he did say to some of us? You know, <laughs> But think about it. What is God going to ask for us to give up in order for him to pour into us what he wants to do and because our focus is not on him and he wants to do something in our lives. This is, this is called repentance. And repentance is not reserved for saying, Lord, I'm sorry I did that. I'm sorry I lost my temper. I'm sorry for what I said. That, there's repentance for that. But repentance also includes saying, Lord, I'm tired 
of having an absence of fasting and prayer in my life. I'm tired of having a disorganized pattern every day. I want you to show me how I can encounter you in a way that changes me, that changes my attitude. You know, we might be praying for God to change our attitude, but he has to change our heart in order to change our attitude. And he has to change how we think and how we respond to things that go on that trigger something in us that we really feel bad afterwards. Are you following me? Maybe, maybe that doesn't happen to you, but it can happen real easy to me in certain situations. Is that the, Where did that attitude come from? Where did that response come from? And he wants us to have a freedom. It's like what Amanda said. There's a, there's, a, there's a theme of freedom, and if the worship team can come up, there's a freedom in that. There's a release in that. And don't you think God wants us to be free to run after him, to pursue him without weights, without doubt, without limitations, with, without our own fears I'm telling you when you're down and when you're depressed two of the hardest things to do is pray and sing and maybe sing is probably one of the hardest but that's how we steer clear of it pulling us into its chain and us saying Lord I, I want to be free to worship you I, I don't want this weight on me. Would you stand with me? I don't want this heaviness on me. I just believe that at this first Sunday of 2019, I pray that 2019 will be the best year you've ever had. I pray that for us. I pray that with her. And then we're going to believe God for that. We're, we, we just thank God for how well things are we praise God for that but I just don't want things to be good I want them to be God soaked I want him to soak me with his presence Lord I just pray for all of us here this morning we, we have a practically the entire year ahead of us but we just have today we can't make decisions for February we can't make decisions for Monday we can only say what do you want to tell me now Lord and there's some that are really wrestling with where they're at the uncertainties that have engulfed them and they don't know which way to turn they're looking for a beam of light like a lighthouse on the shore to show how do I get there how do I get past this that is you I want you to just come and kneel across this front and say Lord I'm I'm wide open for your light show me show me show me show me your direction Lord show me what's next for me remind me that you have the plan you have the only plan that matters for me not my plan but your plan, Lord. I want your plan. And if that is your prayer, that's your hope. Let's start this year off giving way to him. 
yielding ourselves to Him. You can do it right where you're at, but sometimes it's just good for us to come to a, an altar and say, I repent of missing it, Lord. I repent of not getting it. Show me. Show me. Open my mind. Open my heart. I open my life to you. Lord, I give 2019 to you. I give myself to you. I give, Brendan and I offer ourselves as living sacrifices to you, Lord, and that this year belongs to you.